Welcome to the OA Light a Candle meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find over four separate speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, links for you to subscribe to the podcast, and a place where you can donate to keep the special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Michelle. Hi everyone, I'm Michelle Compulsive Overeater. Hi Michelle. Uh, I just want to thank Atusa, who's not here, for inviting me to lead. Um, and uh, I'm really grateful to be here. It's, uh, it's a pleasure. And um, I want to welcome all the newcomers and congratulate everybody who's taking chips tonight. Um, so before I talk about what it was like, uh, I'd just like to say, to qualify, that um, I came here originally to OA in 2009. And... Um, Life hadn't gotten quite unmanageable enough yet, and uh, I was getting there, but not quite. So I, I came to meetings, but I didn't get a sponsor. I didn't work the steps, and I subsequently left after a short time. And then um, come July 2011, life got quite unmanageable, and it was time to come back. So um, I, uh, I came on the 15th, and on the 25th, God gave me my first gift of this program, and that was my sponsor. And um, uh I'm really grateful, and um, so I consider that my abstinence date, and um, my abstinence looks like three meals, two optional snacks, and um, for me, I didn't get physical recovery until um, probably seven and a half months ago that started, and that came in increased increments of willingness. Um, Before I used to eat... uh, basically before I walked in the door here, I was eating all day long and candy all day long and um, there was there was no stopping. There was no, it was, I mean, there were meals, but then there was all the eating in between. So the idea of having three, the structure of three feedings per day and then <laughs> two optional extra feedings, then those, those feedings had to be large enough to get me through to the next one. So because I was really afraid of being hungry. And... Um, <laughs> So, you know, it was still better than I just stopped eating all the candy at work. And um, basically, uh, you know, I um, ended up just kind of staying at the same weight. Maybe I'd lose a little bit. Maybe I'd gain a little bit. But I didn't really have physical recovery. And part of what always drove the diets in the past was this idea. I knew I could count on sufficient self-loathing and self-disgust to start a new diet so um, and it was like good that was motivating at the time until that stopped working so um, what happened here was that I learned to accept myself the way I was physically and just think well maybe I'm not going to lose weight maybe this is the weight that I'm going to be and I should just be happy with the fact that I'm not eating candy all day long and I'm just having you know five feedings and that's it and maybe that's just the way it's going to be I'm middle aged and you know maybe I'm done with the diet thing and and I am done with the diet thing but then along the way um, again working the steps um, having increased willingness at different times it wasn't a light switch along the way I became willing to increase my exercise and decrease the food and so I'm maintaining now between a 20 and 25 pound weight loss so I'm really grateful for that. 
So to talk a little bit of what it was like to kind of go to the sort of distant past, because there's been a couple of playlists that have been on repeat in my head for pretty much my whole life. And then the first one would go something like, not good enough, everybody else with few exceptions is better than me, um, fat, unattractive, different, misfit, and that kind of would repeat over and over again. And the different and misfit part um, came largely due to the <coughs> fact, not, not exclusively, but largely to the, due to the fact that for the last 30 years, and I'm 54, even though I try to pretend I'm 29, but <laughs> for the last 30 years I've been exclusively involved in my romantic relationships with women. And that's um, been a tough one to, to navigate. Um, you know, I come from Chicago. That's where I've lived up until the last, uh, I moved here about eight and a half years ago. And it's a progressive city, but it's also the Midwest. And it's not okay, or at least when I was coming up, it wasn't okay to be gay. And, and the profession that I'm in is pretty conservative, and you kept that to yourself. And um, so, you know, that, that really contributed to the feelings of being less than different, misfit, all of that. And then there was this other sort of simultaneous playlist going on that said um, candy, cookies, <laughs> food, pizza, work, school, more work, and certain facets of people-pleasing. I'm not a traditional people-pleaser in the, in the classic sense. I'm kind of more of a closet people-pleaser. <laughs> It seems, it seems that the results are, like, whenever I try real hard to please somebody, it, it usually produces the com complete opposite effect. So, <laughs> so I'm not really good at people-pleasing, but I still try to do it anyway. Um, so, you know, the thing where my dad was a compulsive workaholic. He worked seven days a week and um, basically, in a nonverbal way, taught me that... Um, work was a way to validate your existence on this planet. And um, so I learned that, that that's okay. Work is good. And for him, you know, money wasn't about, like, doing fun things. It wasn't like, oh, well, now I have this, so we get to do this. No, it was more like a survival thing. And with the exception, the one fun thing that was okay to spend money on was going out to dinner, you know, going out to restaurants. And it didn't always have to be good restaurants, but it was going out. So I learned two things. Work, okay, and food okay you know so that was that was the message for me and then you know my mother was um had always had very um significant physical and mental disorders along the way and um that contributed in in a sort of negative way toward my food situation you know she was a very controlling or is a very controlling person um she's still alive she doesn't control me anymore but um you know, one of the few things that she seemed to not be controlling of was food. And so um, she didn't really care that I, like, eat everything out of the refrigerator, you know, like, you know, she, it, those things it didn't really bother her that much. So, um, you know, food was, it was um, and I guess I always thought, well, everybody likes to eat too much. So I, I didn't really think too much of it that, like, well, why wouldn't you eat to excess if, if you had the opportunity. <laughs> so, you know, candy was always the big thing. Loved to have a lot of candy. And, you know, even though I, I always thought I was fat, I started, went to my first commercial diet program when I was about 13, I think. I went with a friend of mine. And objectively, I was not fat. I didn't really objectively get fat until I was probably in my later 20s and 30s. 
Um, but I always thought I was fat. I felt, you know, again, part of the whole not good enough and, you know, not, not good looking and this and that. And um, so, again, food, you know, I just kind of always ate, always ate. And, and then in high school, the work thing kicked in. Because along the way, you know, like summers were spent, um, I'd work with my dad and his business, and uh, I learned things. Like some kids, I guess, you know, for their chores, maybe they wash the dishes or take out the trash or something. My chores were doing bank deposits, you know, things like that. <laughs> so I was learning along the way that, again, it's all about work. So as soon as I had the opportunity when I was in high school, I, I got a part-time job after school. And because um, I had the idea in my head, again, it was something to chase. That's something that was also part of the playlist. I always needed something to chase, goals. And um, so my first goal was I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a car when I'm 16. Because my parents weren't going to buy it for me. So I thought, well... That's all right. I'm going to go out and buy one myself, and I'm going to get what I want, and that's how it's going to be. So I, I worked, and I saved money. And then part of that part-time job, though, is I worked with this other girl who, you know, the, the boss somehow trusted these two, like, teenagers with his business. He'd leave early. So we were there by ourselves in the afternoon. So there was a pizza place next door. So we'd order pizza and have sugary sodas, like, frequently. And if it wasn't that, we'd be having candy or something, you know, like, Every day there was something. And then I'd go home and have dinner after that. And, again, didn't think twice about it because if I wasn't at work, then I'd be at home having some eating cheesecake or whatever was in the refrigerator. So, um, I, you know, that's kind of what it looked like all along. just ate whatever I wanted. And then, um, but in those days, you know, when, when you're in your teens, you know, I thought I was such a great exerciser, but I could, you know, get on my bike and ride for a while and then in a week lose five pounds. So it was, you know, just... I didn't, I mean, I, I felt fat, but I didn't worry about it as much. It didn't stop me from eating. It didn't, you know, it wasn't a driving force yet. And then I had this brief restriction thing that I did when I was maybe, you know, like 20 or 21, where um, I was, I had a, uh, took this health class, and it talked about counting calories and all that sort of thing. And I, I came up with the, the bright idea, well, if I save all of my calories for one meal, then I can have Burger King, you know, like Whopper with cheese and like large fries and a chocolate shake. And I can just wait all day and like eat nothing the whole day and just have that. And I thought that was a great idea, you know. And I thought, nothing wrong with that. It didn't matter that I was like starving the whole day and, you know, couldn't pay attention. But um, so, you know, that, that didn't last that long because, you know, I am a compulsive overeater. So eventually I went back to my habits. But... Um, you know, briefly did that. And then, you know, uh, regarding the whole work and school thing, along the way, um, I, you know, originally in high school, I sort of got scared off of the pre profession that I wanted to be in based on some of the things that I had to have, you know, classes that I would have to have taken. And then I came back to it in sort of a roundabout way later because, I mean, I, re I really wanted to do it. But I also chose it because... I thought it was going to fix me and make me better. I thought, once I do this, if I get into the, the school of my choice for this profession, then I'm going to get respect, and then everything's going to go right, and then I'm going to be somebody, and then life will be good. And it didn't work out that way. <laughs> I mean, I, I, did, I did get into the school of my choice, and I graduated with honors, and I had all those things. But um, the reality was is that it opened up a new level of compare and despair that I unprecedented that I couldn't have predicted and um, 
you know, and I still, I went out and I did all the things I thought I was supposed to do. And, um, you know, I, I did these things. And what I ended up, what ended up happening was at the end, right before, you know, I guess it ended up being probably, I forget how many years before we ended up moving to California. But uh, I built a, a situation, an office where um, <coughs> my business was downstairs and our house was upstairs. And um, what that ended up being was an isolator's dream. And, you know, because all along the way I would be finding the things that I didn't like and this is wrong and that's wrong and I would try to tweak it and try to fix it. And then I ended up just kind of creating this sort of prison of my own making where um, truly I had to look for reasons to leave, you know, because I was there and I could just, I could basically go downstairs, see people, be done, go upstairs for lunch and turn on the TV, you know. And, oh, that's one thing I forgot from my playlist of the, uh, there was TV and fantasy. That was part of that, too. And um, so eventually, you know, it got to the point where um, it was time to, to make a change. There was sort of this window of opportunity to move to California, and that's what we did. But the part that, that's really significant over the time, those probably it's really the last 20 years, um, that's when I was doing the the like cyclical dieting where it was um, the first time I did it I did one of the commercial programs and I you know I really it was the first real you know um, attempt at doing it and it worked and I exercised and it worked and I lost weight and um, I thought for sure I'm done I like I've changed I've changed my life you know I'm I'm a new person I am never going to gain weight again like that you know you'd hear about relapse or whatever and um, I thought, oh, that's not for me. That's not going to happen to me. And uh, and then and then it did. And it was subtle. You know, it would be like, well, you know, start going out for dinner more. And then, oh, well, you know, maybe we should, well, we'll split a dessert. And then the next thing I know, I'm having my own dessert. And the next thing I know, we're having two baskets of bread. And the next thing I know, I'm putting the weight back on. And it's like, okay, well, let me try a different a different program this time, different commercial diet program. And it worked, too. It worked great. And along the way, I always, you know, not always, I would intermittently do a lot of exercise and, and participate in different, you know, running or biking or whatever. And um, I had a Nordic track. That worked for a while. And, um, you know, so I'd always knock the weight off. It would always work. But then it would always come back. And, um, you know, it was, it was really... Uh, I just thought, okay, well, I guess that's just the way it is. And, I, and again, I could, like I said before, I could always count on the um, the self-loathing to come back. That it would, I would always get to a point where, okay, now I'm I'm so fat and my clothes are so tight and I'm disgusting. It's like, all right, it's time for a diet. And so that that's that's where I go. And um, you know, and there were times even you know my partner would um, like when I start getting to the heavier phase. You know, she'd start expressing concerns for my health, you know, <laughs> and, um, you know, so, yeah, that, that happens a few times, and, but she's always been very supportive, you know, and, and, you know, and she's not a compulsive, I mean, she, she likes to eat, but is not a compulsive overeater the same way I am, like, you know, the, you know, there are times where she'd be get, she'd get, a, say, a box of candy or something as a gift, and she'd have to hide it. I tell her, if you leave it out, it's fair game. Like, if you think it's not going to get eaten, you know, there was no concept of what's 
your food or my food or, you know, yeah, if it's out, it's mine, you know. <laughs> so then the window of opportunity happens. I moved to California, and um, I kind of switched gears a little with my career that before, you know, I was self-employed, and then I um, went into the academic aspect of my profession and was no longer self-employed. I had to work with others in a, um, in a pretty big semi-difficult environment, or well, let's say difficult environment. And um, it started out, you know, everything was fine. And then some things started to go south over the time. And um, as that happened, my consumption of candy increased to where, again, it was all day long, all day. I mean, just I had bags of Costco candy, just, you know, not just mine, but I get other people's candy. And because I ate so much of their candy, I'd go buy them more candy because I was eating it all. And then, you know, I'm kind of fast-forwarding through it, but when things really started going south, there were there was some th certain events that happened, and I stopped all my good habits. I You know, I used to ride my bike to work every day, and I would... Um, bring lunch and you know I was I was really pretty good even though I was still having all the candy and my weight was still kind of up I still had some good habits but then when things started getting rough all the habits were out the window I started driving every day eating lunch with you know I would always eat, eat with people I just bring it but now I started buying the lunch and then things would creep into the lunch like sweet rolls and you know just other weird things that didn't normally have a place in my lunch and <laughs> then um, it got to the point where uh, you know because Burke again was, has been my higher power all along and it was something that I would focus a lot of attention on a lot of obsession on and then like the worst possible thing the, the thing that I thought never would happen was one of my contracts there got um not renewed, which is a fancy way of saying I got fired. And, you know, when I first walked into program right after that, I was so full of shame and pain and rage and every possible negative uh, emotion that um, I didn't know how to, how to navigate that. I mean, the thing that was my higher power for so long, the thing that I could, not that it necessarily gave me self-esteem, but the thing that I had focused on, that I, that it was always there, no longer was there, and um, I didn't know what to do with that. And then, you know, I, it was time to come back to program for real and really work the steps. And um, and so, like again, the first time around in 2009, you know, it was all warm and fuzzy, and it was easy to come to meetings, and I even shared, and it was like, oh, isn't this nice? And you know, this is really fun. But then in 2011, when it was time to come back. I was on my knees. I mean, I had the gift of desperation big time. And I felt so vulnerable that, um, you know, sometimes people say that when they come here, they feel like, um, well, now I know I'm home and, and you know, I, I'm, I'm in the right place. I didn't really know that. I thought, you know, if I get rejected from here, then I'm really, I'm really screwed. I mean, this is, I don't, you know, I don't know, what, I don't know where to go after that, you know. And, um I had so many resentments. I mean, just people from work that I resented, like people that I had considered friends and, you know, and it's like turned against me. I mean, I had all, all these, you know, um, just resentment upon resentment. And then, you know, it, it sort of, there was this um, confluence of, of a big mess that happened 
with my parents in Chicago that, um, I mean, that was just, uh, and that's, I'm not even going to go anywhere near into that, but um, all of those things combined to, to, to form the perfect storm, and um, and that's where, in July of 2011, I, I came here, and that was the beginning of pulling myself back together with God's help. And, you know, I always had a, a connection with God. I always felt, I shouldn't say always, but for probably um, at least the last 20 years, I felt I believed in a higher power. I knew that there's no way that I would have gotten anything done by myself. I knew that, like, God was watching over for me, watching over me and everything that happened in my life up till that point because it, it could have turned out so differently. But, um you know, I basically got to program, and it was time to just to, to do it. And um, so, you know, my sponsor was very patient with me in the beginning. I mean, you know, I, again, I was full of resentments, and she would just tell me, you know, do this or do that, and and kind of like, you know, you have to like like let it go. Like, whenever I would complain about certain individuals, she would say, you know, maybe you're, you're probably right, but you know, it 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 doesn't matter because it's 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 done, and you have to let it go and basically I mean I know I'm paraphrasing it's not exactly what she said but it was the idea of you know the resentments are going to kill you and very early on she told me um, to pray for the people I have resentments against and uh, you know I at first couldn't wrap my head around that one and um, and so I, another fellow explained it to me this way she said well just pray for them to be feel safe, happy, and loved so they're not such assholes. So. <laughs> Sorry, I know I'm not supposed to curse, but um, couldn't, couldn't, you know. So that, that kind of made sense to me, and I said to do it, and I actually still do that in my prayers now. And I've kind of, it's modified a little bit because I don't feel as many resentments. And, and what's happened since then is, um, you know, I stayed at my place of employment. I had one day, and then, some friends in another department, um, you know, gave me another day because they thought whatever happened. I mean, not everybody thought it was should happen what happened to me. But um, so I so I there two days a week, and I can tell you that walking back in there um, that first summer after uh, it all happened was one of the hardest things I had to do. I had to walk in there and just feel like because there was still so much craziness and drama and um, and. It, I didn't know. I, I didn't know what was going to come of it. But basically, fast forward. It's it's um, you know two and a half years later now, and um, there are people there who um, I can think of one individual who I had such a resentment against. I hated this guy, and now when I see him, we chat and laugh and schmooze, and it's fine. And I never would have dreamed that that would happen again. And then um, another person who again who I had considered a, a good friend. Um, that one, you know, we can see each other, and we're pleasant and cordial and professional. Um, I don't go out of my way to necessarily interact with this person, but if the opportunity presents itself, I don't shy away from it, and we can be fine. And so that's God. That's God working in my life because um, that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Uh, and, you know, a lot of the learning has happened in that environment because it was so highly charged and um, so many different kinds of personalities and um, it's a lot of my healing has uh, been connected with that and um, even you know as recent as this last May there's a particular event that happens annually 
that um, I go to. And, you know, it's funny, that, that particular thing, I didn't know if I was going to go to it. I thought, maybe I won't go. And the next thing I knew that, you know, there was a colleague who um, was being brought into this organization. And because of the way that all turned out, well, okay, I'm, I'm going to go because of that. And then the next thing that happened was um, the other person and I who were bringing him in, he couldn't be there because of a medical problem. And so I had to be the person to actually get up and sort of make the little introduction to bring him into this group. And so the thing was is that everybody, pretty much almost every significant person in the place who had kind of screwed me over was in that room that night. And so <laughs> basically I had to get up and, and do it. And you know what? It worked out okay. God was with me, and I was able to be, you know, gracious and um, say my piece and be, you know, caring. And so the person who was my ex-boss, you know, came up to me afterwards and said, oh, you did great, and gave me a hug. And it was like, okay, we can have some healing. And um, so I guess, you know, I, I talk about that because the food is only a symptom. All those kinds of things, the, the self-loathing, the, you know, hurts of life, living life on life's terms, all those things, that's what I really had the problems with. And I still have those problems. I still um, struggle with a lot of things, but um, now I have a program. And so by having this, you know, having the ability to, to learn how to connect, to learn how to be with people, have this blueprint for life, you know, if you're new, keep coming back. That's what I would say. Because it's the act of repeated <coughs> meetings and seeing the same people. That's what helps you get connected. Even if you don't really know everything about everyone, and we don't really know that many personal details about each other necessarily, but it's that comfort of seeing the same faces and, and being here and, um, and having that, and it, it builds over time. I mean, maybe for some people it builds a little faster. For me, it's more of a slower kind of thing. I'm, you know, it takes me a long time to trust. But, um, but once I do, you know, I'm a very loyal person, and that's, I guess, that's how I show people that I care about them. And, um, you know, I want to talk a little bit about sponsorship because, um, you know, initially... Like if you're new and you're trying to think of, you know, how can I find a sponsor? What's the way to do that? Or, you know, people who try to work the program without a sponsor. I think that's one of the gifts of this program is that I mean, the steps are certainly the crux of it, but, you know, you can't do it alone. It's a we program. And, um, you know, I remember when I first came here, I asked a woman in a meeting, well, like, how did you find a sponsor? How do you do that? And she's like, oh, yeah, you know, I've been through a few of them, and I've had to fire a few, and, you know, you just find them. And I was so raw because and I thought, oh, don't use the F word, you know. I, I can't go through that. I, don't, I, I can't do that. I don't want to be fired again. I don't want to fire anybody. I don't, you know, I, geez, I can't do that. And so, um, you know, and then people talked about finding somebody that you'll take direction from, this whole concept of taking direction, which... You know, I'm not, I mean, I'll take direction, not the best direction taker. I mean, I'd rather kind of give direction, but <laughs> <laughs> in certain environments, I am really directive, you know. I mean, but um, I thought, okay, well, if, if I'm supposed to take direction, I need to find somebody who is really smart, probably smarter than me, and also a little more alpha than me. So I found... <laughs> I, 
<laughs> somebody who I'll listen to, you know, and somebody who's um, who knows the program. And you know, at first I didn't know what else. Like like somebody who has what you want. I mean, I didn't know what that was. I don't know what I want, you know. I mean, so I had to. Um, I just had to find somebody that I could listen to, you know, and I did that. And now, um, two and a half years later, I'm still with the same sponsor. And, you know, I couldn't have predicted two and a half years ago how much that relationship would mean to me. And, um, you know, again, because I'm a pretty loyal person, there's nothing I wouldn't do for my sponsor. Anything that would be asked of me, I would do. Um, And then the next gift that came was being a sponsor. And when... And the way it worked out was my sponsor called me on the phone one, one day and said, you know, I'd like you to start raising your hand in meetings to say that you'll be a sponsor. And I thought, well, I'm really not qualified for that. Um, I don't know how to do that. And uh, But there's really no, you know, graduate program and sponsorship here. You, know, you, just, you do what you've been taught, and then you figure things out along the way and what works. And, um, and I think the way I kind of look at it is, it's an opportunity to um, to give what I never got, you know. And it's again, it's the unconditional um, unconditional love, like in step twelve, where you know you give without the expectation of anything in return. And I treasure these relationships. I I couldn't have predicted that. I couldn't have imagined how much all these relationships mean to me. So you know that that's really one of the big gifts of this program is is um, the people that you get to interact with on a, on a pretty much daily basis. And, um, you know, again, as far as the, to, to talk about food, um, what, what I do, well, actually, I, I just want to say what my rituals, you know, I get up pretty much 5 o'clock most mornings. I go to the Hill Street meetings Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And um, before I get there, I pray, I meditate. Um, and, you know, I used to have a... a Resistance to getting on my knees to pray, I didn't want to do that, and um, now I do that, and that's it feels right now. It's part of the deal, and I um, make outreach calls, I write, I read literature, um, I uh, I do, you know, everything that I can possibly do to work this program. And is it perfect? No, I mean, it's. It's progress, not perfection. But um, I, I, for all the things that that I still struggle with, I have to just be in gratitude that um, so many things have changed because I am not the same person that I was when I first walked in the door here. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I've put down the food in a significant way. I mean, I'm still, I'm still reminded that I'm a compulsive reader. I mean, it's not cured, certainly. I mean, I still have my temptations, but... Um, you know, because I it's because I didn't put that down. I can see exactly why I eat, and um, and so now I'm kind of at the next level of working through stuff that um, uh, you know I'm not sure exactly what it's going to look like, but um, it's all clarified of of really you know all that all that stuff about not good enough. You know that stuff that still rears its ugly head, and. Um, but it's better. It's better than it was. It's definitely an improvement. Um, and with that, I think I'll I'll stop and um, see if, if you all have any questions. And thanks for letting me share.
Uh, the question is, if, if I think that a sponsee is going to drop out, do I ever call them, check in with them, or do I just let them go? No, I, you know, I've, um, I, I will call. And I, in fact, I, um, I've been more uh, sort of reciprocal with that lately, where I, I call my sponsees. If I don't hear from people in a few days or, you know, a week or something, I, I will call and say, how are you doing, you know? Because people struggle. People are having difficulties. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, for me personally, one of the things that, see, one of the things that went south for me at work is that because I'm very directive and um, kind of a crack-the-whip kind of person, I have that in me, um, you know, working this program in a very dogmatic way comes, came easy to me. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. But the thing that I had to learn, we all come in with extremes, I think, and um, I think it, it, maybe this is a roundabout way of answering this question, but for me, I think what I've had to learn is to be a little more um, forgiving and, and more um, let people be because, like, I, because of my perfectionism that's been that's so has been engaged in such an unbalanced way, professionally and personally. Um, I am really working, striving to be kinder to people so that I um, that I'm not cracking the whip on them. So, like, that's so. What I do is. Um, I let it reach its natural end, you know, and, and there's, but I've had people, certainly, I've had an, enough sponsees um, leave, you know, I mean, they're the ones who stick around, but there's the ones who leave, and they leave for different reasons, and, um, but again, it, it, as my sponsor said, it's all God-driven, and people, they come and go, and, you know, even if you did call them, if they're not meant to be with you, they're not going to be with you, and, and then it's going to end one way or another, but, you know, I mean, I've, I would I would try to end it in a um, positive way if I can, and um, uh, sometimes it's not that positive. But um, th I hope that answers your question. Um, the question is, can I share about the amends that I've made that made a big difference in my recovery? Well, um, interesting. My amends again, this not really classic. Um, uh, I mean, a few of them that were really uh, one that that helped me a lot and it, was a, it wasn't a person who's that significant in my life but um, it was a person that uh, I had had done like when, when I built my um, office in Chicago it was the, the architect basically who did that and I was I was such a pain in the rear end and I always felt bad about that I felt like I was whining all the time and complaining and calling and you know everything horrible and so it was literally, I don't know how, more than 10 years later, 15 years, when I called her and, um, and made my amends. And she was so gracious and so, like, like, happy to hear from me. And was like, hey, no big deal. It was like, she said it was a difficult situation. And, and, and that, that in itself, because that was something actually that bothered me a lot. And um, that kind of lifted a big weight. But then, you know, one of the things that I actually... When I went back to Chicago to, to make some amends, um, I found out a thing that I probably, I'm not going to go into detail about it on this, but I found out something that was really hurtful in the process of making an amends. And um, it was a challenge to be forgiving when I found this piece of information out. And so that was, it was, again, not a classic type of amends, but when I found out this hurtful thing, um, I just kind of had to deal with it and realize that it, the source of it was from someone who was in great pain 
and not in control of what they were doing. And, um, you know, I, I guess that, I don't know if it's necessarily completed. It's still, it's unfinished business in some ways, but, um, and I know this is vague, and I apologize for that, but, yeah, that those are kind of the two main things that come to mind that have um, been significant in amends. Okay, the question is, how do I experience my higher power? Um, you know, I, I feel like um, my higher power sends me signs, and <laughs> and it's, it's um, you know, well, I'm going to go ahead and say it. You know, I... I have a thing for license plates, and I have a thing for numbers, you know. And um, and I feel like I see different, you know, little messages, and sometimes they've actually come almost in sentences where I'll see, I'll be riding my bike, and I'll see one license plate that says a word, and then a couple minutes later I'll see another one with another word that's like a sentence, you know, like telling me something. And I'm thinking, okay, are you nuts? Like, maybe you're nuts, you know. <laughs> but... You know, and then there's numbers, like these certain numerical patterns. It's like, you know, okay, this is too synchronistic to be false, you know. And, um, I mean, I've heard other people say that, that they see those things, you know, in different number patterns. And, um, you know, so that, that's one, one small way. But, I mean, like when I meditate, I can, I can feel my higher power. I feel the peace. I can feel the um, connection. And, um, you know, before program, I couldn't. Meditate. I would try many, many times, and I'd always either fall asleep or my head would be so busy. But um, and really, the main thing, is, you know, a lot of it is through meditation that I can feel my higher power. So, um, yeah, I hope that answers. Thank you.